This is Dr. Charles Parker, and you're listening to Core Brain Journal. It's the place where I connect both fresh discoveries and interesting different perspectives from advanced mind science with the realities of real people and everyday life down on Main Street. Well, welcome aboard, folks. This is a very unusual presentation here. We're so privileged to have Dr. Russell Jaffe, MD, PhD. He is a very interesting guy. He is the person who developed the Health Studies Collegium. He is an individual who has been on the frontier of teaching all of the rest of us, the things he knows from his deep experience in functional medicine, and more importantly, here at Core Brain Journal, how it applies to brain function and everyday life with us human beings walking around in the street far away from the D.C. environs where Dr. Jaffe is. Dr. Jaffe, thank you so much for joining us. I appreciate it. Thanks for the invitation. So it's going to be so much fun. What we're going to do, and so what's going to happen is if you're in your car or you're in the gym, you can listen to the presentation. It will be provocative in and of itself. That's why we asked Dr. Jaffe to come in and, and present it for us. But those of you who then get listen to it a little bit, you may want to get the slides because he's got a great slide set. And I'm going to follow him with the slides myself because I'm watching, you know, he and I are talking on Zoom. But I'm going to follow him on the slides and we're going to be able to do the slides and the presentation is just going to be like you're going to be in a dinner meeting, but you're going to have it in your home, in your ears, wherever you happen to be globally. So it's going to be very, very interesting. And the title of the talk, get this, folks, is something that we have all been very interested in for a long time, functional immunology in clinical practice. It doesn't get more streetwise than that. Now, we're going to drift around a little bit because Dr. Jaffe is a preeminent deep researcher. So stay with us. The good news again, because it's a podcast, you can replay it. Just remember that. So without further ado, I'm going to give it to you, Russ. You uh, take it off and we'll be right on the first slide whenever you're ready. Well, it really is a pleasure and a privilege to synthesize over the next 40 minutes or so what it has taken me four decades to put together. And by that, I mean, in America, we have healthcare, which means mostly sick-related care, and then we have mental health as if that's separate. As we have known for decades, at least since C. Norman Sheely started the American Holistic Medical Association in the late 1970s, the mind and body are always connected. As the Association for Humanistic Psychology, or the Positive Psychology Movement started by uh, Abraham Maslow pointed out, the mind and body are always connected. And what we have had the privilege of doing is synthesizing and, more importantly, making clinically accessible, both to colleagues and to consumers, a functional, an integrative, a personalized, predictive, proactive, primary prevention practice-focused approach so that these hundreds or thousands of articles on the molecules of emotion, as Dr. Candace Pert titled her book, can be now brought back in a more evidence-based 21st century way so that the triple aim, John Berwick's triple aim of better health, better care, and lower costs can be realized sooner by more people and more effectively. Next slide. Now, <laughs> I'm not looking at the slides right now, so I have to remember the slides. I'll tell you, this is now, a picture think, of you, Russ. This is, this is the introduction what? of you and, and what you do. It's a great picture, by the way. You oh. look <laughs> very sharp, man. You got some great glasses on. 
Thank you. And, and Thank you just look terrific. Sorry, Thank that's the, that's the first slide. Right. The second now, slide now is the, the license. The objectives, right? Yes, sir. Oh, yeah. yeah. So we want to have a functional but personalized understanding of the immune defense and repair system, which then is intimately connected with our metabolome, our microbiome, our digestive tract, our detoxification competence. And going back some decades, the immune system was really a black box. We knew when it was tolerant, people were healthy. When tolerance was lost, uh, it was bad news. There were inputs, there were outputs. And what our lab pioneered in the early 1980s was opening up that black box and looking for each individual at where they're tolerant and where they've lost tolerance and where their lymphocytes are responding and reacting. And we measure all of those in a very functional way so that in a single cell culture, autologous and ex vivo, which means we're measuring the reactions just as they happen inside the body, we're able to now do hundreds and hundreds of cell cultures very efficiently, very reproducibly, very inexpensively, but very high value in terms of either avoiding and reducing potential risk or more importantly, mitigating existing risk to mind and body since they're always so intimately connected. Next slide. And now where are we? So really on the picture with the immune system, I came ahead a little bit because I think mm -hmm. your next Good. thing is the immune system defenses and repairs because that's where you are going with it. No, exactly right. Now, many of us are familiar with the word inflammation and how important inflammation is in vitality and health. And we have thought it through to realize that inflammation is really cumulative repair deficit. And what we want to do is remove obstacles to recovery. We want to evoke human healing responses. We want to do that with physiology before pharmacology. We want to do that with an emphasis on nature, nurture, and wholeness. And to do that, we need to understand where the immune defense and repair system is, what you're tolerant to, what is burdening you. Because when you have delayed allergies, it's kind of like running a marathon every time you get exposed to the foreign antigen, energetically, biologically. You wouldn't run a marathon every day. It would wear you out. And very often, whether it's mood disorders, lack of restorative sleep, uh, just general failure to thrive or enjoy quality of life, delayed allergies are submerged under the surface because it takes hours to weeks from the time you get exposed to a delayed allergen until the symptoms, the serum sickness reactions, the things that feel like the flu but aren't a virally mediated activity, the Arthas reactions, the Schwarzman reaction. Because it's hours to weeks from exposure to expression, you need some laboratory test that's ex vivo, that has the reaction occur just as it does in the body, but with the precision to have good reproducibility. And we're privileged to have less than 3% variance on many, many blind split samples done consecutively. We don't drop out any data. We have more evidence of outcome studies, community-based outcome studies in type 1 and type 2 diabetes, community-based outcome studies in fibromyalgia and in chronic fatigue syndrome. So when people say, gee, is there any evidence in the peer-reviewed <laughs> literature? Has anyone who's a methodologist actually looked at the method to see is it reproducible? We're glad to set a very high standard for ourselves, and we think others should welcome that high standard because if you're more sensitive and specific, if you're more predictive 
for the consumer, for the client, for the person who's suffering, then that should be clear. And if you're less predictive, if you're less sensitive, if you're less specific, that also should be disclosed. Very excellent point. I mean, really, when you think about it, and listeners, what he's talking about, really, he hasn't said it exactly, but IgG is one of the measurements that he's talking about because it is the chronic. So go ahead, Russ. I didn't interrupt you. No, no. Let's, let's talk about that for a moment. So IgG is a memory antibody. It's an acronym for immunoglobulin G. It's easy to measure just a serum blood sample, and you can measure the presence or absence of an antibody. However, it has a fatal flaw. And the fatal flaw is the information is not functional. And because the information is not functional, you don't know if this is a helpful, neutralizing, beneficial antibody, or if it's a complement-fixing, symptom-provoking, harmful antibody. Now, your body can tell the difference, and lymphocytes, which are special white cells that carry immune memory, lymphocytes react to harmful antibodies, and they are help or ignore helpful antibodies. So serum testing for IgG is flawed because it's not functional, and then it's doubly flawed because it gives you no information about the T cells, which are a special class of white blood cell that do not respond to antibody, but they are immune mediators. Everything from asthma to arteritis are linked to T cell or immune complex responses. We uniquely pick up and functionally distinguish only the harmful antibodies, not the helpful ones, and the immune complexes and the T cells, because it's a true lymphocyte response assay, but done ex vivo, which means we incubate with the person's own plasma and cells present, and therefore we get very high reproducibility. We put ourselves to the test early on in terms of community-based outcome studies, and what was very satisfying to us was that spontaneously people reported better restorative sleep. Spontaneously people reported their seasonal allergies were reduced or disappeared. Spontaneously, people reported their dyspepsia, their maldigestion, their dysbiosis symptoms spontaneously disappeared. So we want you to have a diet that you can digest, assimilate, and eliminate without immune burden. We want you to try physiology before pharmacology. So we don't try to reduce symptoms. We try to get to the cause of a problem or a risk and mitigate the risk, reduce the adversity that causes the problem. Is it an epigenetic need for more specific nutrients? Is it an environmental exposure to certain things that are specifically immunotoxic for that individual? We are fortunate to be able to be that personalized and that specific because we have near 80,000 cases in a database. We've done near 25 million cell cultures over the years. Uh, we've pioneered much of the technology, but then we've carried it through to show that in the community, in the laboratory of people's own lifetime experience, it not only works in the short run, it sustains in the long run a really meaningful either risk reduction or more importantly, sustainable remission from what had been a chronic malady. So what Dr. Jaffe is saying, folks, and I'm being uh, super succinct about it, is they have advanced a testing process which takes it beyond the ordinary testing processes that a lot of people use. And when you go beyond it, then you have more accuracy is the bottom line. And the more accurate you are, the more predictable the outcomes. We are strong proponents of predictable outcomes, as you know. Just even testing anything is odd in psychiatry, biomedically, because people don't even see that connection. Uh, so where Dr. Jaffe started with his presentation is exactly where 
the world is right now, uh, Dr. Jaffe, you don't know this, but I've, I call it the Galileo mind moment. We're not looking through the telescopes that are there. And if we look through the telescopes, we really kind of don't believe the universe. And uh, mm-hmm. the issue is the sun is not rotating around Rome. So what happens is Dr. Jaffe's kind enough to spend some time with us and talk about these really precise measurements. Now, Dr. Jaffe, one of the next set of slides right here is the whole immune system, adaptive immune system, and the uh, how that works. And- yeah. Now, if you'll permit me, I would like to very briefly review the major components or subsystems of what Please. we call the immune defense and repair system. Please. We start with the innate immune system. When the innate immune system, which is your granulocytes, it's your wiggly cells, it's your fibroblasts, it's the cells that are designed to identify anything that's worn out and recycle it. They also have recycling centers inside themselves called lysosomes that can break down anything that's foreign to you to building block components and then make use of those to build you back up. So you want your innate immune system to be robust and vigorous. You want, for example, your phagocytic index to be 50 or so, which means your granulocytic or phagocytic cells can take up 50 bacteria, put them in a lysosome, break them down and recycle them, no infection. On the other hand, most of us begin by assessing the adaptive or acquired immune responses, and you must break tolerance, you must have maldigestion, you must have dysbiosis, you must have repair deficit inflammation before you acquire any delayed allergy. And when you have all of that, you have a repair deficit at the blood thyroid barrier, at the blood adrenal barrier, at the blood testes or ovary barrier, at the blood brain barrier. There are lots of barriers in the body that must be renewed and rehabilitated on a regular basis. And we want an immune defense and repair system that is unburdened and able to go back to doing both daily defense, but nighttime is the time to restore both restorative sleep and rehabilitate, rebuild the infrastructure. The collagen, the elastin, the ligaments, the bones, the tendons, the joints, the basement membranes of the body. Many, many people have a repair deficit that clinically presents as inflammation because inflammation is really cumulative repair deficit. And this is one of the rethinkings that the functional approach allows and we've contributed to. And I would extend the analogy that you aptly applied before because the reductionist so called Descartian mechanistic model that is the basis for the curriculum in medical education to this day, has fatal flaws because the body is meant to be a self-renewing, self-repairing, homeostatic, that means self-re-regulating, bringing yourself back to equilibrium, organism. And no part of any adult is more than 10 years old, and that's bones, large blood vessels and joints seven years. Most of us has been renewed within the last few months. So this notion of my birth certificate says I'm of a certain age, therefore the quality of my life may decline. I argue not. I want to be in the minority of people at advanced age on their birth certificate who's functioning as a young adult. My own teacher at 96 and 106 had a lot of tests because we were able to do it on him. And we put all the information in front of him, and he said, well, being 40, at, you know, when you're 106, feeling like you're 40 or functioning like you're 40, that's a good age. So true. Well said. And I like the way you said that because it's so effective, really, the whole mechanistic point. That, that is the point because 
in a way, people are looking really at labels and looking at how appearances matter. And what Dr. Jaffe just said, listeners, is the issue is if you have a problem, there is a cause for the problem. Another whole system is kicked in. Not a system that's working and doing its business and everything's fine. But when you have a problem, even a nuanced, a very small problem, and this is part of the problem with the mix between traditional psychiatry and functional medicine psychiatry is that even a small problem does appear as a marker, as an important marker, to really understand the nuances of what the underlying pathology actually is, as opposed to, it's not bad, you'll get over it and carry on. So go ahead, Dr. Jaffe. And if I, can, if I can build on that, there was a brief interest in what was called orthomolecular psychiatry and orthomolecular medicine. Abram Hoffer, Humphrey Osman, Linus Pauling, some of the, uh, Carl Pfeiffer. And they found very quickly that people who had profound psychiatric and or physical chronic ill health almost always had an observable metabolic imbalance. If they lacked zinc and B6, they had the MOA factor in their urine. If they lacked molybdenum, they had a selenite, a nitrite rather than nitrate in their urine. They looked at amino acids, which were the sources of neurochemicals. They looked at fatty acids, which are the source of our cytokines and our powerful communication molecules. They looked at whether the cells were too acid or not, whether they had enough antioxidants or not. And very often, they were able to accomplish the remarkable without prescriptive intervention. What young doctors tell me today is that there's so much to learn about psychoneuropharmacology and its impact on society that there is no time for what I will call nature cure or evoking human healing responses. In my day, it was considered an obligation to look people in the eye, tell them the truth, and do it in a way that lifted their spirits. And that's called bedside manner. Today, young physicians tell me they don't have any training in bedside manner. In fact, they're discouraged from sitting at the bedside because it might be considered inappropriate to do that. <laughs> oh, dear. So I welcome the opportunity to help be a bridge uh, so that with, you know, once you enter the functional, the integrative, the whole person, the consumer-driven environment, you very quickly see that almost everyone that has a thyroid problem has a mood disorder. And almost everyone who has a mood disorder has a sleep disorder. And then everyone who has a mood and sleep disorder has some neurohormonal imbalance. Yeah. So it's the web of life. And you can pick up that web respectfully at any point, but you must be able to feel the resonance of the web, not just concentrate on poking at one specific symptom or one specific nutrient. See, this is so, so important, Dr. Jaffe, and I'm going to tell listeners to get over to slide 10, because this is where Dr. Jaffe talks about this in a more precise biomedical detail. This is the antibody-specific B-cell response, and in this slide, Dr. Jaffe talks about exactly what he was just talking about, is just the ubiquity of stress and what it does. So, Dr. Jaffe, you want to hit that a little bit? Yes, and in particular, we're meant to have balanced responses. So we have stress hormones known as cortisol and DHEA. We can measure this in the saliva or in the plasma. If cortisol goes up under stress and DHEA tracks with it so that the balance or proportion of cortisol to DHEA is still within healthy homeostasis, you're fine. The real problem comes in 
when cortisol goes up and DHEA doesn't follow. Mm. And that gets worse when the cortisol should go up and it doesn't because both sides of that neurohormonal axis are distressed, are exhausted, and we want to rest and rehabilitate. We want to restore and renew the precursor amino acids and more importantly, the enzymatic control, which usually means B-complex minerals and cofactors. We want to rehabilitate the mitochondrial battery so that when the toxic matter comes in, the detoxification cytochromes can make them more water-soluble and less harmful to the cell. The cytochromes can then get active. And what we're doing, staying a little bit more with the slides, is, your, is the whole business of lymphocytes, B cells, and T cells. Now, folks, stay with us a little bit because this is an important point here because what happens is we're going to tease this apart. We, one of the things I like about having a guy like Dr. Jaffe on is because he introduces a really an, an evolved language. What we're all doing as we're moving along through our lives is, and the reason people tune into Core Brain Journal is because they want to get that, they want to have access to that different language. And that different language takes them into di different geographies, into different lands. And when you get into a different land, then you're, you need new maps. You don't know where you are unless you pull out some kind of an effective map to take you from, you know, one city to the next. And uh, so this is a little perhaps arcane for some people, but I think it's a value. And and where we are now, Dr. Jaffe, is uh, on 11. We're talking about B cells and T cells. And I, it's, it's in the spirit of uh, adding some more of an idea of what we're doing and what, why we're even talking about these things. Yeah, I'd like to build on that for just a moment, if I may. Why is it important to look functionally at where the B cells are and where the immune complexes are and where the T cells are? Well, it's only important if you want to avoid cancer, cardiovascular disease, and catastrophe. <laughs> You got it. It's kind of important, but it's only in the last few decades that we have been able to accurately, reproducibly, in an evidence-based way, measure these delayed reactions, and more importantly, know what to do clinically, what to do for the individual to recommend a lifestyle program first, an epigenetic lifestyle program first. It's about what we eat and drink. It's about what we think and do. And that's where we have specialized, taking the bench to the clinic and the clinic to the table, to the you know, dining room table. So then back to the lymphocytes, the B cells, and the T cells. Let's break that down a little bit because people are sticking with the slides a little bit, mm -hmm. I'm sure. And if you could shed a little light on the differences and importance of why one would even want to know about that stuff. Right. Why would we care about these reactions? Well, when we say we have inflammation and pain and discomfort and swelling and heat, or when we say we have autoimmune conditions from diabetes to asthma, from migraine headaches to multiple sclerosis, from arthritis uh, to uh, pericarditis, anything with ITIS means self-attacking repair deficit known as inflammatory, chronic, delayed immune dysfunction. I want my immune defense and repair system robust. I want it to be able to identify anything that's foreign, recycle it without burdening me, and I do not want to have to burden my immune system to the point where my blood barriers decay, which means autoimmunity and self-attack occurs in whatever is the part of me that's stressed, 
And more importantly, I'm not able to get the restorative sleep, the restorative peace. Whatever else I'm doing to help myself is reduced when I have maldigestion, dysbiosis, repair deficit, these repair deficit inflammatory conditions that are mediated by different aspects of a life essential system. When we say immune defense and repair, we're talking about something without which you cannot live. If your immune defense and repair system somehow goes away, you end up in a bubble for the re remainder of your time and it won't be a happy bubble. And I actually knew the bubble child at NIH. His oh. father was an institute director. Really? There's a whole story another time about that. His name was Teddy. And at the age of 21, he signed himself out of the bubble. He knew he would pass away, but he didn't want to continue. He'd been in there for eight years. Anyway, wow. this immune defense and repair system is essential for survival. It's essential for repair, but it's essential for having optimism and the ability to see the challenges of life as opportunities rather than neurochemically, neurohormonally, immunologically, feeling helpless, hopeless, displaced, and disinherited. And many people have those experiences and feelings without realizing it's about the foods that they're eating, either the processing of those foods or the immunogenicity of those foods. There's a lot of things in those foods that we could get into that I would say, well, they're not in my home. Because I'm like everyone else. In the middle of the night when I'm hungry, I will eat whatever is the least healthy thing around. <laughs> so I only have seeds and nuts and sprouts and reasonably healthy things. And if I have an extra cashew, well, I had an extra cashew last night. I'll have one less cashew today. On the other hand, if I had a candy bar, I would probably at 2.30 in the morning, because sometimes I'm up at that hour and hungry, I'd go for it. So I've done a makeover in my own home. You can come to our R&D center in Vienna, Virginia, eat out of the garden and enjoy whole foods that I think are appetizing, easy to prepare, and most importantly, leave me feeling and functioning better immunologically, neurohormonally, and digestively. Yeah, I mean, your, your presentation is so interesting because everything you're saying is something that all, all of us kind of intuitively know, but what's really fun about this presentation, Dr. Jaffe, is is the fact that you have the deep science right there, you know, that you're, you're breaking it down, you know, in terms of what these different immune system regulators and protectors, the barriers that we have set up in, in our body to actually solve the problem that so many people are in denial about. It's just like it's not a problem. and I, It's okay to have a runny nose for the rest of my life. You know? <laughs> well said, and we're on the same page, and I'm glad your listeners are listening because... Human healing responses are meant to be available, resilient, and evocable. When they're not, it's either because of a lack of something that's essential or too much of something that's toxic. And the distress of life can be a mental toxin. Relationships can be toxic or nurturing. And we recognize all of that. But we also recognize that when you're eating the foods that nurture your wholeness, you're more likely to be reasonable and resilient. You're more likely to hear other people as uh, giving you opportunity rather than attacking your soul. You're more likely to get the restorative sleep to allow your body to heal and restore. And that means restoring tolerance in the immune system. And in order to do that, you have to go after the different subsets and understand the complexity, but also the elegance of why the body devotes so much of its attention to these different immune 
modulators and up regulators and down regulators. We fortunately have health coaches that can explain this to you or to your individuals who you take care of, uh, usually on a telephone or televisual schedule, because this is a rethinking. It really is the functional application of mind-body medicine, recognizing that everything that affects the mind affects the body and everything that affects the body affects the mind. So good. Let's pop over to slide 18 because I'm going a little ahead of you because there were sure. some slides in there that were really almost exclusively for a, para, a professional audience. And so that what happens to be a little deep for the average listener, but I think a lot of the people out there, a lot of the people that we speak with on a regular basis in our office at our, our level is they don't know what the difference between IgE and IgG is. And mm. there's a slide you have here, number 18 listeners. Yes on IgE. And I think we got a little more into that differentiation. Mm. It would help emphasize some of the excellent points that Dr. Jaffe is making so that we can see how those are both significant in different mm. ways mm. and how we can use them to edify ourselves in terms of what the nature of the underlying problem is. So this slide's on, on Ig, IgE. Yes. So this is known as type 1 or the Isha Zaka Reagan also known as IgE, immunoglobulin E. And the reason it's immunoglobulin E is because it's present in very small amounts, but it has a specificity for cells like basophils and eosinophils and other granulocytic cells, and it causes them to be sensitized and degranulate. And what happens when you lose the granules from these cells? Well, the chemicals inside those granules are adrenaline and serotonin and other neurohormonal active molecules that get concentrated in these cells. And when histamine induced by these immediate IgE reactions, when histamine amplifies the effects, you get hives, you get wheezes, you get anaphylactic shock, and sometimes itching. This is in complete contrast to what we've been talking about up until now. So type 1 is easy to determine by history whereas delayed allergies are almost impossible to determine by history. If the bee stings you or you bite a strawberry and you get swelling and hives and itching and anaphylactic shock, I make the diagnosis of the immediate reaction. What has been interesting to us, Dr. Parker, over the decades is that so many colleagues have spontaneously told us that the immediate IgE-mediated seasonal allergies or histaminic reactions diminish or disappear when the delayed allergies are addressed. In fact, it's possible that these immediate reactions are the body saying, hey, you're not listening to me in a delayed voice, in a whisper. <laughs> I'm really going to get your attention with hives and anaphylactic shock. And so we have not done a prospective study, but I can tell you anecdotally that many colleagues have called up and said, gosh, the individual came in and not only were they feeling and functioning better, but their seasonal allergies, their IgE-mediated, their histaminic response, their mastocytosis, their mast cell tissue excess seem to have gone away. Well, Dr. Jaffe, I'm so glad that you emphasized that point because we have repeatedly seen that in our offices. And, you know, you said anecdotally, I kind of feel anecdotal about talking about it. And so I'm always careful about it because it's a, I don't have the science like you do. And, and maybe the science isn't actually there right now, because if, if it's there, you would know it. Well, what we need is more resources to do these kinds of functional community-based studies. Mm -hmm. I am a scientific fellow of the American College of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology. If, the, if, if this study had been done, I should you know would, about it. You would know about it. Uh, 
as I've indicated before, we specialize in community-based meaningful outcome studies that are scientifically rigorous, where you compare current best standard of care with this intervention, this functional immunology and, and functional uh, predictive biomarker approach. And it's only a resource question. The Health Studies Collegium Foundation is a 25-year-old 501c3 foundation chartered specifically to do outcome studies in any chronic inflammatory or autoimmune condition, as long as the resources are available. I'm telling you, it's great to hear it from you anyway. And so that's, that really puts, and now the next slide is the delayed hypersensitivity. Right. And if you could take a moment on that, Dr. Jaffe, because this is the crux of our conversation and, right. and is so much tied up with what you do, with what your laboratory does and what people need to know about. And then right. in that, that slide. Yes, exactly right. Thank you. And the headline, in a way, the lead, the most important takeaway is, history doesn't tell you about delayed allergies. You can have a perfect food diary. You can have a perfect social history. If you want to know about tolerance and intolerance, you have to do a lymphocyte cell culture, something that distinguishes helpful from harmful immune memory, helpful from harmful IgG antibodies, something that would pick up an IgA harmful antibody if a mucosal antibody existed, something that would recognize immune complexes and importantly the T cells, which are usually two-thirds to three-quarters of all the delayed reactions. So when you do what I will call a, a 20th century or a, a previous generation test like serum IgG or particle size tests, first of all, they don't reproduce themselves very well. And more importantly, while people feel better for a few weeks, within three months or so, because you haven't really addressed the underlying causes, people acquire new delayed allergies and another round of treatment uh, exists. When I was a young person in immunology, what I was told was I was fortunate to be in a field that once a person became a client, they were a client for life. And I thought, oh dear, can't we do better bad. than that? Yeah, it's can't terrible. we do better than that? There's a lot of people to help out there. I don't think my waiting room or my lab is going to be oh. you know, diminished if, if people get better. In fact, they might bring their friends. So the delayed allergies have been a mystery since uh, COCA and uh, GEL and Coombs first defined the four subtypes of reactions. And we have the privilege of providing the first and the most evidence-based ex vivo or true reaction occurring responses to functionally distinguish helpful from harmful medications, foods, toxins, and environmental substances. And we can do the largest number of substances on a mere one ounce of blood at the best value. It used to cost hundreds and hundreds of dollars uh, because of how labor-intensive a cell culture was to test for one delayed allergy. Now, it's barely a few dollars per item, and we recommend a fairly careful mapping of the territory so that you can get the detailed information to know for the individual how to unburden their immune defense and repair system and how to help jumpstart the evoking of their healing responses. Then you add to that the lifestyle program, and we can talk about that separately, you know, choosing wisely of what you eat and drink, think and do. Well, and the lifestyle program is going to be significantly encouraged by the findings of the test. I mean, why will you do the test? The test is to really change your lifestyle because you're having an underlying nuanced provoking provocation of a deterioration that's going to directly affect brain function for the rest of your life. If you don't take that nuance out, it's just going to grow and grow and grow. I, and I know, Dr. Jaffe, you hear this all the time. People come in and say, well, I didn't have this problem until I was 35. No, you had the problem 
And then I ask them about their, just the basic question. One of my favorite questions is how many times a day do you go number two? You know, which is the macro of macros. And, uh, yep. you know, and then they say, well, you know, I've had this, I've gone every other day for the, since I was a kid. Well, the problem was there, but it didn't arise. Yes. Apropos of what we're talking about here, because it crept up. You had the creeps right. going on, but it was so nuanced that you were in Galileo denial because you didn't have the evidence because it wasn't an emergency. Now it's an emergency, but the reason it got to be an emergency because it wasn't attended to in a more complete way earlier on. Right, right. We can be proactive, but primary prevention has largely been forgotten. It is the time to recognize that the cost, the human cost, the social cost, the financial cost of sick care is going to break the bank. Mm -hmm. Medicare alone is a mere $80 trillion short, and I don't know where we're going to find that because that's above my pay. But I do know that the triple aim, better health, better care, and lower costs, can be achieved applying widely this functional approach. Get the bad stuff out, get the good stuff in. Get the essential nutrients in, in balance for that individual based on their predictive biomarkers, based on their functional testing like the LRA by ELISA Act comprehensive system that lets the body speak for itself, but under control laboratory conditions, and then puts that information into a wisdom-based context so that you can be guided about what you can eat and drink, think and do to really evoke that healing response and to really establish a restorative state, a resilient state, and a sustainable remission from any risk factors or any uh, chronic uh, autoimmune conditions that exist. Well, Dr. Jaffe, now I'm looking at the slides and thinking about uh, sort of translating the depth of your uh, intelligence and, and experience and trying to keep it down to where most of the people are going to get it. And I think the, a very important next slide is not, uh, slide number 26. We've got 61 slides here, folks, but yes, I think we're, we're going <laughs> to cover, we're going to cover the meat here. We, you know, and we're not going to get the absolute bones out and look at them or the marrow, but we're getting the meat of this conversation because Dr. Jaffe has taken a considerable amount of time to help us with this. And, and I think germane to this conversation are the different testing methods. And that, yes. is, that is 26. And it talks about these various delayed allergy testing methods. And, and I think, you know, we great to hear you, Dr. Jaffe, talk about those separate ones, if you will. Well, we start with the need for it to be functional and living. So any serum test, like a serum IgG test, as is conventionally done, will not give us the information we need. It won't give us the T-cell information, and it won't distinguish the good from the bad antibodies. Then there are the machines that measure everything at 10 microns. And they say, you know, a lymphocyte, when it wakes up, a lymphocyte, when it activates, it goes from 8 to 10 microns. So I'm going to measure 10 micron particle. Well, it turns out there's lots of artifacts. There's stacking of red cells. There's platelet clumping. There's debris from granulocytes. There's lots of things at 10 microns that are not lymphocytes reacting. The difference between an ex vivo functional test like LRA by ELISA ACT is that we actually look at the lymphocytes to make sure that we're not confusing something at that size with something of that function. And then there are other systems mediator release systems that look indirectly at some of the cytokines or some of the chemicals that are released when cells react. That's an interesting technology. Haven't seen much in terms of clinical outcomes yet because it's relatively recent as an innovation. It has the advantage of being new, but it has the disadvantage of not having much clinical outcome information, whereas we are measuring directly ex vivo the true lymphocyte response assays very precisely, less than 3% variance, very consistently, 
over antigens that we have purified ourselves because we have high quality standards and we want to give you high quality information. And that's why we recommend the functional LRA by ELISA Act because it is least subject to artifact and it is most subject to meaningful and clinically predictive information. So folks, listening, looking at the slide now, if you're looking at 26 and you're back home on your machine and what happens is that first antibody testing there are a number of labs that do antibody testing, IgG, IgA, Ig4, and he mentions a couple of those, but they don't differentiate helpful protection from reactive symptom provoking. That's, they're more static. One of the things we see so often in our offices are cell size method, which is ALCAT. And we, you know, ALCAT to me is, I just don't even, you know, somebody gives me an ALCAT test, it's, it's really throwing the cards in the air because there's so much going on in an ALCAT test I'm not against the company. I'm just talking about the usefulness of the data. I mean, that's what everybody's there for. That's right. Heather's Wiki published a few years ago, sending blind split samples very specifically to that lab. And what she published was the blind splits didn't reproduce each other. It was like throwing cards in the air. If you want to randomly change things, okay. But if you want to randomly throw cards in the air, just throw the cards in the air. Don't do the test. Only do a test that reproduces itself and then decide if it's applicable to the individual. If we didn't have less than 3% variance, I wouldn't offer a procedure that had higher variance because the clinician gets confused and the patient more so. When we set up the procedure, we had very high standards and we had to innovate in a number of ways. But fortunately, with my NIH and methodology background, I was both interested in and, I guess, suitable to the task. Now, decades on, we've done outcome studies and we have all of these case reports that confirm how comprehensive, how predictive, how individually relevant uh, this approach is, whereas the others that you've just mentioned do not reproduce themselves very well and are not comprehensive, therefore they're not functional. Some of them are easier. You just put out your arm and get a specimen and get some result. But if it gives you brief but meaningless hope that leads to a hopeless result because you haven't gotten to the cause, you haven't really redressed the issue, you haven't gotten the good stuff in and the bad stuff out. Therefore, the patient now loses hope in the whole approach. And so it's it's not about any specific lab or any specific test. It's about the meaning of the information Absolutely. and doing the tests that have value for that individual rather than, if you will, throw cards in the air. That is so absolutely correct. Now, and those of you who are on your machines at home and listening to us have this conversation, that a lymphocyte response assay, the last group, is Dr. Jaffe's test. Mm-hmm. And what he's talking about there, it measures all three pathways. You can directly observe the lymphocytes themselves in, in ex vivo. He said, you use the term ex vivo several times in here. He's saying that it's really clinically validated as a, as a methodology to see what's actually going on in the body, as opposed to these other static kind of, they're more on the unpredictable side because they're not covering all the variables that are actually alive in the functional activity of the defense mechanisms of the body. Right. The other tests don't distinguish good from bad, and they're not comprehensive, whereas ex vivo means that in the laboratory, we're going to see how the body reacts. This means you use the person's own plasma and all the other cells other than red cells in the incubation. You have a negative and positive control with every specimen. There's a lot of things that we innovated to get such high precision and such predictive but personalized information. 
because that's what, as a clinician, I felt I needed and decided that was what I was going to share with colleagues like yourself. Well, this has been great. Let me move on a little bit. This is how it can be done. These are the serology tests. He has some methodology doing particle size. He breaks it down, folks, as you look through the slides with me. He's more emphatic about the details that we went over, generally speaking. And then he breaks down the very specific ELISA-ACT method in more detail, moving forward from slide 30. And look at the doggone picture on 31. I mean, Exactly. Uh, now, one of the things that used to be said about our test was it's hard to do a cell culture, we agree, but it, that was hard to tell positive from negative. And you see on the left side of that screen or slide, a non-reactive specimen, what you might think of as starry night if some abstract painter painted it. <laughs> on the right, you see what we call halos. This means the lymphocytes have activated, a kinase has phosphorylated the glycocalyx, that's the hair on the surface of the cell, and the glycocalyx has pushed the plasma and the platelets away, creating that rim of light. You and I, and anyone who is trained, can see the difference between reactive and non-reactive. I'm going to correct you, Dr. Jaffe. I don't usually correct you, buddy. Anyone who isn't trained. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. And it's right there in your face. That. You got it. And that's how we get such good precision and reproducibility. It's how we were able to get such improvement compared to best standard of care in the outcome studies we've done. Yeah, that is that is very provocative. And, and you know, it's I just the whole idea of those cells being so active. And then the next slide, he's talking about the advanced cell. And here we get into the, the treatment. And really, this is Another thing that I think Dr. Jaffe has made such a significant contribution with, because, you know, if you have these results, what are you going to do with them? How can you match them up with symptomatology and what actually works and what doesn't work? Another thing uh, we've talked a little bit about in a previous interview with Dr. Jaffe, and I'm sorry I don't have that number right in my mind. I should have, I should, I was getting the technology together. I'll get it together. It'll be in the show notes. But we talk a lot about the alkaline way previously. And I think in closing, people who are listening, Dr. Jaffe would appreciate how we can kind of wrap this up into what do we do. We get the test, and I know it's way too complex to say what do we do, but I think some general comments would be appreciate that if you don't mind. Sure, and, and, and hopefully we'll get the link for the folks who are interested to the joy in living the alkaline way. This is a 100-page digital document that you can download or you can buy it from us for use as a patient education information inspiration resource. It includes discussions of everything from how to avoid common allergens, how to be gluten-free if you want, what about the liquid nutrient plan that encourages healthier digestion without the work of digesting hard foods that are foods hard to digest. It includes mind-body suggestions, very specifically could be rebounder trampoline, or it could be traditional acupuncture. It could be active meditation or a salt and soda bath before bed. So one of the things we would offer to people is to take a look at the Joy of Living the Alkaline Way Guide. It does mean a makeover moving towards wholeness, towards nature and nurture and physiology first, looking at the upstream causes, reducing the risks, making things truly restorative and preventative, but personalized, and not paying attention to the symptoms and applying symptom reactive care that ends up complicating or shifting to another part of the body 
the problem. For example, many people today have dyspepsia or they have GERD or they have reflux or they have something else that has to do with their stomach. And they may be given a proton pump inhibitor or an H2 blocker, but that has adverse consequences on B12 and B-complex uptake and on magnesium uptake and on digestion overall and on the pancreas and the gallbladder. And so we want to bring back and have people fall back in love with the human healing response, which you might call the nature approach first or the nature cure approach. And this covers all of epigenetics. This covers the 92% of lifetime health that you have control of by the habits that you cultivate, by the choices uh, that you make day by day, the choices you make in the supermarket, in the restaurant, when you travel, and when you're at home. Sorry to interrupt you, Dr. Jaffe, but I just want listeners to know we'll have that link so they'll go directly over to your place. And, and yes, thank you. We'll, we'll get you the, the, uh, yes, the easy link. Sorry to interrupt you. Yeah, yeah. No, I was just saying that we've had the privilege. I came as a skeptic to debunk what I now advocate. <laughs> but once my experience was so clear, once the evidence began to accumulate, as it has done robustly over the last three plus decades. Even a blind beetle will eventually figure things out. So even though I was a skeptic, I had the privilege of having people who mentored me, gave me parallel or cross trainings, either cross-cultural or cross-philosophy. And I've done my best as a scout to bring that back into the service of those people who want to survive the 21st century. In summary, we actually have an extra million deaths a year that are completely avoidable. Half a million because of the complications of sugar metabolism, metabolic syndrome, insulin resistance, and diabetes. A quarter of a million due to nutritional deprivations that are rampant in this country. Look at the food that's available in many healthcare institutions. And a quarter of a million due to the burdens of healthcare having to do with how wealthy you are, the stresses of the healthcare system, rather than healthcare being a right. And you know my view, Dr. Parker, if we have the right to pursue happiness, then healthcare is a right, not a privilege. It should not be about how much money you are or what zip code you live in. We should all be well and happy. And that's what I want for each of us. Russ, I completely agree with you about it. I mean, what happens to managed care is that they are now the landowners, the overseers of the tenant farms. And what's happening is because they control the entire system based on outdated data. And it's actually cost-effective for them to control it with outdated data because if they actually go further into it, they think they're going to have to spend more money. And the paradox and the, and the problem is, and you, you didn't quite say this, but I'm going to add to it, and you're welcome to chime in, is if they spent the money, they would save the money. What happens is they have no idea what they're doing, so they don't know that if you did this testing how the phenomenal amount they would stay with people going to the hospital and being psychotic and having long-standing non-reactions, staying just with psychiatry alone. Forget diabetes and cardiovascular disease and all that. Just thinking about the mental health state of the globally, certainly in the United States, we're supposed to be the thought leaders, and not really looking at what's going on in biologically at the human brain, it would be a cost-saving for them. They would actually make more money. And that's the you're, you're, you're exactly right. And to, to put that in the same, slightly different words, but the same uh, concept, of the 2.6 million people who pass each year, a million could be saved 
that would reduce the suffering and grief of their loved ones. Most people would like to live longer, not shorter. And it would add $8 trillion a year to the balance sheet of the country. And if you actually added $8 trillion a year for a decade, that's the $80 trillion that Medicare is short. And then we could actually have Medicare for all. So we're in complete agreement that the cost of sick care is going to break the bank sooner rather than later. Look at how quickly the Medicare trust fund is running out of money. And the other side, if we were willing to do primary prevention, the proactive, predictive, personalized practice that we're talking about, you would save lives, you would save civil society, because it actually causes society somewhat to come apart when you have so many ill people and dying people. That is when the morbidity and mortality goes up high enough, as it is today. All of civil society suffers, not just the individual and their individual uh, nuclear family, but all of civil society. Oh, yeah. And if we want to have a prosperous society, we're going to have to get the cost of care, sick and health care, to be affordable and sustainable. Mm-hmm. And that means, in my view, getting back to primary prevention, getting upstream and preventing people from falling in the river of disease however good we are at salvaging them once they do. Well, Dr. Jaffe, what an eloquent and delightful presentation. I really appreciate your, uh, we didn't do every detail of the slides because the audience is a mixed audience. The good news is we have professionals out there who will love the rest of the slides. They can go through it and they will be able to get a lot from it because the slides are really quite self-explanatory and you've got references on a lot of the slides. So people can, if they're puzzled, just go to that reference and read about it. And that's what we try and do at Core Brain Journal all the time is we're a little bit on the edge, but we're going to reference everything we're talking about. So we have references on every single show notes page. Perfect. So in that regard, we're going to have references for Dr. Jaffe's work, for his website, for the uh, ELISA Act testing, for the Alkaline Way information. And you'll be able to get hooked up with Dr. Jaffe really easily by popping over there with the links that'll be on the website. And, and in closing, Dr. Jaffe, thank you so much for taking the time. It's always good to listen to you. It's inspirational, really, because you really say things so eloquently and yet so persuasively from a metaphoric point of view. The way you speak and the references that you make are so commonsensical in the context of really being good science. And I really appreciate that. You do a heck of a good job. Really appreciate it. Well, thank you. Much appreciated. And it's always a pleasure to be with you. We'll do it again sometime, Russ. At your pleasure. Yes, sir. Have a good one. Thanks for listening to Core Brain Journal. We're working every day behind the scenes to bring you reports that connect research benches with those street trenches. Here we share the complexity of mind science because, as you know, details really do matter. One of the most pervasive misunderstood challenges is how commonplace medications like those written for ADHD are used so regularly without clear guidelines. If you think you'd like more specifics, take a minute to download my two-page PDF packed with video links and references on the absolute essentials of how to start ADHD medications. They're easily available at corebrainjournal.com forward slash start. Thanks for listening. Do connect and stay tuned. Together we can make a difference.